Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And now for today's environmental news brief. For WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, March 17th. I'm Todd Wicks, filling in for Nathaniel Weinzapfel. The Environmental Resilience Institute's Resilience Cohort, based at Indiana University, is a program that has been working towards planting more trees and other vegetation across the state in response to climate change. Indiana's cities and towns, with their massive amounts of concrete and lack of vegetation, have lended themselves towards climate change effects being more common. These surfaces allow large amounts of flooding and more heat retention on the Earth's surface. The planting of trees helps mitigate these effects by having their roots strengthen the soil and absorb more moisture. Their canopies help shade and keep the temperature cooler. Over 30 local governments across the state have begun participating and new trees have begun to pop up everywhere. A shocking discovery from the Smithsonian Magazine has found that over a third of all animal feed originating from Singapore contains endangered shark meat. The researchers found that the ingredients listed such as fish, ocean fish, or whitefish have been the sources of shark meat. While shark meat is not dangerous towards pets, most owners would be surprised that their cats and dogs were eating endangered animals. A study published last year in the Nature Journal found that global shark and ray numbers have decreased by over 70% since 1970. The Smithsonian researchers support clearer ingredient labeling that allows owners to better choose the right food for their pets and reduce the harm done to shark populations. President Biden's hopes for the appointment of his Federal Reserve nominee, Sarah Bloom Raskin, have tanked since last week as Senator Joe Manchin announced that he will not vote to confirm that candidate. This is due to Raskin's belief that financial regulators should have the ability to prepare for the economic fallout that would be caused by climate change. Moderate Republicans and Manchin have cited their belief that all energy sources, both renewable and non-renewable, should be financed and supported. This is a major blow to one of the tenets of Biden's environmental platform that seeks to encourage government agencies to understand how the increasing amount of extreme weather events and the transition to renewable energy could impact the financial stability of the country. 
And that's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. In today's feature report, IER reporter Enrique Sands will discuss how state and national environmental regulations may or may not clash. That's coming up later in the program. For months, IU students have been demanding that the university create a plan to diminish its greenhouse gas emissions. Now IU scientists and science advocates have joined them. Two IU groups concerned scientists at IU and Advocates for Science recently sent a letter to the university administrators asking the university to analyze how it affects the climate, commit to becoming carbon neutral by a specific date, and create a climate task force to realize that plan. Tim Londrigan, a retired professor of theoretical physics and co-founder of Concerned Scientists at IU, noted that the latest intergovernmental panel on climate change report documents how severe the climate crisis is, and that addressing it mandates that the university take visionary action. Londrigan said IU has created the Environmental Resilience Institute and other groups that address climate disruption around the state and help communities create climate action plans. But IU doesn't have one itself. Londrigan pointed out that IU is one of the only three Big Ten universities that don't have plans to cut greenhouse gas emissions. A story in the Indy Star has good news for Hoosiers who wish to install rooftop solar. After six years of pushing and repeatedly falling short, a bill that makes it harder for homeowner associations to prohibit residents from adding solar panels to their homes finally passed. Quote, oh my gosh, that's awesome, end quote, exclaimed Joey Miles the moment he saw Governor Eric Holcomb sign House Bill 1196 into law March 10th. Miles, a homeowner in an HOA community in Franklin Township, first started this fight what feels to him like ages ago. A review of hundreds of HOAs across just central Indiana suggests that as many as half expressly prohibit all solar panels, while many others have vague or limiting language that leaves the decision unclear and up to committees devoid of any objective materials. Many such HOA officials say those covenants are in place to maintain the aesthetics of the community or to protect property values. Others say those were the rules residents agreed to when they moved in and they can try to change them if they don't like them. That reasoning has been used to deny many individuals, like Miles, from being able to get panels on their roofs, a local solar nonprofit said. But not anymore. What is now House Enrolled Act 1196 creates a system for homeowners to petition their HOA boards to in install solar panels as long as they meet certain requirements that can't be denied. This bill is as much about renewable energy as it is about property rights. The bill's author, Representative Mike Speedy, representative from Indianapolis, said he wants Hoosiers to have a choice on where their energy comes from. 
Senate co-sponsor Senator Aaron Freeman, also an Indianapolis Republican, agrees. He said, there is a place for solar panels, and many Hoosiers want it, and we should have an avenue for that. WISH-TV reports the Indiana Supreme Court has overturned part of Duke Energy rate increase approved in 2020. The state's highest court says Indiana law does not allow Duke to raise rates to cover costs that had been previously incurred. Duke asked the state for a rate hike to cover more than $200 million in costs related to shutting down coal ash ponds. The Supreme Court ruled those costs were covered by previous rate orders, and retroactive rate-making is not allowed under Indiana law. It's unclear at this point if Duke customers will receive a rebate or rate reduction. Plastics are a plague on land and sea. Plastic production is expected to almost quadruple by 2050. Per capita, plastic consumption is 2.5 times higher in industrial countries than in non-industrialized ones. To combat plastics, world leaders, environment ministers, and other representatives from 173 countries have agreed to create a legally binding treaty on single-use plastics covering the full life cycle of the material from production to disposal. The head of the UN Environment Program called the resolution creating the treaty the most significant multilateral environmental agreement since the Paris Climate Accord of 2015. Approximately 9.2 billion tons of plastic were produced between 2015 and 2017. 75 percent or 7 billion tons of the plastics is waste disposed of in dumps incinerated or collected in land and water. The nations discussing the treaty in Nairobi, Kenya, concurred that the treaty should cover the production and design of plastics, not just waste. Christina Dixon, Deputy Ocean Campaign Lead at the Environmental Investigation Agency, said, quote, This resolution finally recognizes that we cannot begin to address plastics in our ocean and on land without intervening at the source, end quote. The Indiana Environmental Reporter is calling attention to the reality that the world is running out of time to undertake the rapid cuts in greenhouse gas emissions needed to reduce the severity of multiple climate hazards, such as increased flooding and heat, according to a major new report. But despite this and previous warnings, Indiana's government is working to prolong the life of fossil fuels rather than to seriously decrease the state's significant greenhouse gas output from fossil fuel emissions. The report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, written by hundreds of scientists from 67 countries assembled by the United Nations, finds that human-caused climate change will increase the amount of flooding and other expensive extreme weather events. It also will decrease the amount of food available, disrupt supply chain infrastructure and trade, increase health risks and mortality, and lead to many other negative effects in North America. Quote, Today's IPCC report is a net list of human suffering and the damning indictment of fake climate leadership. With fact upon fact, this report reveals how people on the planet are getting clobbered by climate change. Nearly half of humanity is living in the danger zone, end quote, said U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Quote, 
The world's biggest polluters are guilty of arson on our only home. It is essential to meet the goal of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And science tells us that it will require the world to cut emissions by 45% by 2030 and achieve net zero emissions of greenhouse gases by 2050. But according to current commitments, global emissions are set to increase almost 14% over the current decade. That spells catastrophe. End quote. Decades of nearly unchecked greenhouse gas emissions from transportation, electricity production, industrial emissions, agriculture, and other sectors of the U.S. economy have trapped heat in the atmosphere in amounts so large that the planet has warmed more in the past century than at any point in the last 11,000 years. Fossil fuels make up more than 93% of the energy consumed in Indiana, and 70% of the electricity produced in Indiana is produced by coal fire generation. The state of Indiana emitted 188.3 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions in 2018, ranking it 8th among U.S. states despite ranking 17th in population. The European Union has banned the class of four pesticides called neonicotinoids because they kill bees, butterflies, and other insects. The U.S. EPA, in contrast, is on the verge of reapproving those pesticides for use on U.S. farmland for another 15 years, even though the agency has acknowledged that the pesticides entail, quote, ecological risk of concern, particularly to pollinators and aquatic invertebrates. End quote. The pesticides attack receptors in an insect's nerve synapses, causing uncontrollable shaking, paralysis, and death. The chemicals are sprayed on fruits and vegetables. They are water-soluble and immediately leach out of plants into soils and streams where they harm wildlife so much that Canada has restricted their use. Farmers use neonicotinoids on 150 million acres of U.S. cropland approximately the size of Texas. The land treated with those chemicals is 48 times more toxic than it was 25 years ago. In extending the use of neonicotinoids, the EPA is giving into pressure from farm lobbying groups and pesticide manufacturers. According to Nathan Donnelly, Environmental Health Science Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, quote, we are already seeing crashes in insect numbers and we don't have another 15 years to waste. It's frustrating to see the EPA go down this path. We really are at a crossroads. We can't follow the science and the rest of the world or we can go out on our own and appease the chemical industry." End quote. The application of pesticides, habitat loss, and climate disruption are the major causes of dramatic insect declines in the U.S. and several European nations. Globally, insect populations are dwindling as much as 2% per year, and the United Nations predicts that half a million species could be lost during this century. The Indy Star reports that when AES Indiana's Eagle Valley natural gas plant started operating four years ago, it was touted as state-of-the-art and one of the most efficient plants in Indiana. But disconnected wires and ruptured pipes have conked out the plant for what will be close to 14 months, nearly one-third of its life. Residents already are paying for the $600 million plant to sit idle. 
Now they will also pay for the power AES Indiana, formerly known as Indianapolis Power and Light, bought from the grid to cover the outage. In recent months, state utility regulators approved AES Indiana's request to pass that cost on to customers. Monthly bills will increase by more than $5 total, and at least $1 of that is because of Eagle Valley specifically. The rest of the increase is due to higher natural gas prices and other costs. Events in the Ukraine tell us that you had utilities in the U.S. switched to solar and wind years ago and to electric vehicles, we'd have no vulnerability to world prices for fossil fuels. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says the Environmental Protection Agency hopes states like Indiana will use new greenhouse gas inventory tools to reduce their emissions. Data from the agency shows more than half of Indiana's emissions came from power plants and a quarter from steel plants. Duke Energy's Gibson coal plant emitted the most greenhouse gases, more than 11 million metric tons. That's equal to the carbon dioxide emissions of about 2.4 million cars in one year. The next three highest emitting facilities were U.S. Steel's Gary Works plant and both Cleveland Cliffs locations. Emissions from power plants in Indiana have gone down 42% since 2011, likely due to coal plant closures. Another seven coal plants in Indiana are expected to retire by 2028, but Gibson won't be fully retired until 2035, which will likely make it the largest coal plant still operating in Indiana by that time. A separate EPA tool shows Indiana's carbon sinks, landscapes that absorb more CO2 than they release, like forests, have gone down about 36% since 2011. This reflects the high level of logging on both private and state lands. The top five oil and gas companies in the U.S. are making enormous profits and aren't paying taxes on them. In fact, since the Paris Climate Accord was signed in 2015, they've received money back from the Internal Revenue Service. For example, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, ExxonMobil, Hess Corporation, Devon Energy got back $100.95 billion in domestic taxes between 2015 and 2022. The same companies brought their investors $201.4 billion in dividends and share buybacks during that period. To help change that wildly unfair situation, a group of congressional Democrats led by Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in the Senate and California Representative Ro Khanna in the House have proposed levying a tax on fossil fuel companies' windfall profits. Representative Khanna wrote in an email, quote, Big oil is raking in record profits while working families are struggling to afford gas at the pump. What we are seeing right now is a prime example of corporate greed and companies profiting off an international crisis, the Russian war against Ukraine, end quote. The oil and gas companies also receive subsidies from the federal government of about $20 billion a year. According to Kate Aronoff, writing in the New Republic, quote, profits are expected to continue ballooning in 2022, end quote. And now for our feature, IER reporter Enrique Sands will discuss how state and national environmental regulations might or might not clash. Did you ever sit in school and drop a pen or something? When that happened, 
You could sometimes grab it with your hands if it's close, or your shoe if it was a little further. But on some dreaded occasions, whatever fell was just out of reach, and you had to get out of your desk and go get it, whatever it was. Well, what if there was a law saying you couldn't do that? What if the law said that you could not reach beyond anything past the confines of your area, no matter how important it was? That flawed comparison is sort of what Indiana lawmakers wanted to impose on state agencies. House Bill 1100, authored by Representative Steve Bartels, would have prohibited state agencies from setting any regulation that is more stringent than comparable federal statutes or regulations, no matter its need. It died in committee, but could still be brought back in this legislative session or next year. Bartels argued that the state legislature, not state agencies, should have the power to make regulations more stringent than federal law. According to Bartels, the bill would serve to impose checks and balances on state agencies. Environmental and consumer advocacy organizations have argued that the bill would limit the state's ability to make decisions affecting the health of Hoosiers and the environment even further than it already has. Senator Chip Perfect, chair of the Senate Committee on Commerce and Technology, pulled House Bill 1100 from consideration, saying he agreed with the concept of the bill, but disagreed with its one-size-fits-all approach. Something's been gnawing me about this bill. Uh, I just couldn't, even though I love the concept, I just couldn't get there on this bill. And uh, it's the other problem that I have with so much legislation that we do. And that is uh, that it's one size fits all. So this is a one size fits all bill for agencies. And there are several things in here that I support that should be one size fits all. But frankly, I think I thought that there were too many things that affected agencies differently. So um, we're not going to vote this bill out. Perfect. Owner of a ski resort in southeastern Indiana, Bartels, owner of a marina and winery near Patoka Lake and other business owners stand to benefit from a reduction in regulations. Bartel said he thinks Indiana residents worry about state agencies making decisions rather than elected officials. I think the citizens are scared of the bureaucracy, and I mean that from a literal sense. I mean that system of government of unelected officials making decisions. Bartel said he hopes legislators will come back next session with a more robust proposal. Environmental advocacy groups said they were encouraged by the bill's dismissal and will be prepared for the introduction of a similar bill next year. Tim Maloney, senior policy director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, said most Hoosiers, including legislators, don't realize that state regulations stem from federal laws. Indiana's environmental laws, for example, are derived from federal laws such as the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, which have provisions that delegate their implementation to states. States are responsible for ensuring that federal requirements are met and they have some leeway in how that happens. Maloney said state environmental regulations and other administrative laws help Hoosiers every day not a, a, you know, a, a glamorous type of issue, but it certainly affects our, you know, our daily lives in many ways. And, you know, the agencies be improved, sure, but again, it's just, you know, we help people realize that this is a very important discussion and that um, you can't just paint it as, you know, just too much red tape and regulation without understanding the purpose behind all of it. Maloney said he is encouraged by the passage of another bill that made its way through the legislature that may add clarity to the jumble of regulations that exist in the Indiana state government. Senate Bill 264, which was approved by both houses of the Indiana General Assembly, will establish a 10-member task force to review how Indiana agencies adopt administrative rules and fees 
and other administrative rulemaking issues. Maloney said the task force is a better option for reviewing state administrative rules than what was proposed in HB 1100. You know, part of our position has been that, you know, that's the, that's the appropriate approach to, to concerns about uh, state agency rulemaking and the implementation of state laws. That that's a very complex uh, area of, of government and deserves a very deliberative, you know, thoughtful review with all the all the parties at the table, and 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 we hope that's what will happen with this task force. SB 264 now heads to Governor Eric Holcomb for approval. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Take a full moon hike at Spring Mill State Park on Friday, March 18th from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Join Anthony at the Spring Mill Inn front patio for an adventurous hike on Trail 3, which is 2.5 miles long and quite rugged. You will learn why the March full moon is called the full worm moon. The Woodpecker Wander Hike will take place at Brown County State Park on Saturday, March 19th from 10 to 11.30 a.m., on Trail 5, you will be looking for Indiana's seven native species of woodpeckers. The hike is 1.5 miles long and is considered rugged with creek crossings. There will be an invasive plant hike and pull at Spring Mill State Park on Thursday, March 24th from 11 a.m. to noon. Hike with a naturalist while discovering the difference between native and invasive plants. You will help the naturalist by pulling invasive mustard made at the pool parking lot. McCormick's Creek State Park will be hosting an amphibian outing kickoff on Friday, March 25th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. and on Saturday, March 26th from 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. You will join the naturalist and experts from the Hoosier Herpetological Society to learn about amphibians. On Friday, you will meet at the well-known Amphibian Pond. All day Saturday will include hikes, talks, displays, and kids' activities. Enjoy an evening excursion at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area to watch the American Woodcock perform its mating ritual, the Sky Dance, on Saturday, March 26, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Learn about the Woodcock's migration, habitual needs, and how the Indiana DNR is working to conserve the species meet at the main office. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, 
solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar-powered generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's news brief was produced by WFH reporter Nathaniel Weinsapfel. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. Juliana Daly assembled the script and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHP, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And this is Eco Report.